0: Hello and welcome to Almost 30.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's Lindsay and Krista. You're BFFs and you're at Evolution. We are real life best friends. We are business partners. And we're so glad you're here. No matter how you found us, we're grateful. And this is a place where hopefully you can just feel supported in your evolution, in any
0: transition that you're going through. And we're excited mm-hmm. to have you. We're excited to have you here. If you are a fan of Aaron's, who's our guest today, welcome to the show. Today's guest is Aaron Abke. And we wanted to have Aaron on to talk about some of the concepts and principles that you are curious of, that I'm mm-hmm. curious of, and that our audience talks to us about often. And Aaron is such an amazing teacher. So I was introduced to Aaron's work in probably 2018 or 2019 when Mm -hmm. I was digging into the raw material, the law of one. So the raw material, the law of one is my favorite spiritual text. It's five books that talk about why we're here, talk about the meaning of life, talks about ascension. It talks about ancient Egypt. It really talks about our history of humans on earth. And it's a channeled text. And it was just one that felt um, really powerful and called to me but it's also very um, deep and intellectual and sort of hard to read because raw the channeled entity that it's channeled through, speaks very precisely. So the language is a little bit hard to understand, but Aaron was able to break it down in a really beautiful way on YouTube through multiple videos that discuss big topics in the law of one, like negatively polarized beings or ascension or the graduation or the harvest or positively polarized beings or Jesus. So he kind of runs the gamut. And after consuming so much of his content, we became virtual friends. And then he came on the podcast to talk specifically to The Law of One a few years ago. So you can listen to that episode if you're interested. And then we ended up doing a program together. Mm-hmm. So last year for six weeks, we took over a hundred people through The Law of One material from the first book to the last book. And we covered the main topics within it. And it was really powerful to have a book club Type setting to have people have conversations around karma, to have conversations around the chakras, to have conversations around ascension in a way that was guided by the Law of One text. So I know Aaron as a teacher, as a YouTuber. He is an incredible, incredible mentor to many people. He's an expert in the Law of One and of Course in Miracles and really is someone that is able to consume a lot of powerful spiritual text and information and translate it in a way that people can understand it. Yeah, I found it to be so helpful (laughs) because some of the concepts, whether it's from
1: the Law of One or from A Course in Miracles, are a little bit like, it doesn't feel over my head, but I'm like, hmm, yes, I was in this landing. And then Aaron's teaching has really helped to integrate so much of this information. So in this conversation, we talk about Kundalini, Kundalini awakening. Uh, he describes his own and what does this mean and how we can start or spark mm-hmm. that kundalini awakening in our practices. Uh, we talk about of Course in Miracles. He is certainly an expert, and this is a beautiful text that both Krista and I love and uh, reference. It's channeled texts and really 5D consciousness, if you will. Uh, we talk about Christ consciousness. Um, we also talk about how to communicate with the universe. You know, the universe is communicating with us. God's source is communicating with us at all times. And there's really beauty... To take in, to receive anywhere and with whoever we are with. And so how we can do that more often, because once you can kind of unlock that, you start to see and experience the world differently.
0: Yeah. I also was excited to talk about this because I don't think we have, but it's something that's been percolating in my mind is the relationship between your nervous system and your ability to experience spiritual things. So, so many people in our community want to experience magic and spiritual experiences, whether that's angels or guides or abductions or aliens, mm-hmm. but you're not actually able to do much if your nervous system can't handle higher frequencies and higher vibrations. So we talked about the relationship between spirituality and spiritual experiences and the nervous system as well, and gave some tips for, you know, supporting your nervous system so you can have those really mystical things happen. Yeah. I think you guys are going to love gonna
1: this love one. i love it, you guys. Love this one. You can follow Aaron on Instagram at Aaron Abke or go to com. That's A-B-K-E. Or you can visit Forty University.
0: Yes. And then you can get the Law of One course on mm-hmm. almost30.com. So when Aaron and I took people through the Law of One text, we did an amazing course that was live, but we actually took all the recordings and the content that is incredibly hefty and incredibly profound, and created a course for it. So it is available at almost30.com. And I highly suggest anyone that's interested in basic concepts of the universe and interested in talking about karma, in ascension, in graduation, in free will, in duality, then checking out The Law of One is a great place to start. And this course will help you to navigate the most important topics in the text in a really powerful way. Love it. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to Almost
1: 30 so these episodes can just land in your podcast inbox every single week. And go to the almost30.com. As Krista said, we have courses and programs, the membership community, and much more. We will see you on the other side of this one. Enjoy. We'll see you soon, guys. We love you.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: <laughs> oh my god sometimes at the some house god. i'll be
0: just singing that i'm like our god <laughs> <laughs> or, we did sing hallelujah sing hallelujah sing hallelujah that's to more the fun lord than I had. that one yep. was a fun that's Jesus a fun one christ the lord is here yeah,
2: hallelujah. That's
1: a uppity. that was a good one yeah. so you got a
2: little worship in your background
1: mm. do you like maverick city
2: uh, a little bit i've heard a little bit of them Ooh. i like elevation worship yeah they're yes. all real Fuck good it. i lose Bethel, my mind elevation yes there's, there's a Brandon lot of good Lake. ones now. Brandon Lake's my favorite. Brandon Ooh, Lake's amazing. He's Brandon the best. Lake. So good.
0: It was weird. Right? So you
2: listen to worship music now? Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I was going like, to say, I have a playlist I can send you.
0: Perfect. Ooh, that's yeah, what's I a, love that. You never know. One time Justin was like, <laughs> I was like, we were like talking about something. He's like, I mean, you have to understand. When we first met, you were listening to trap music in EDM and now you're listening <laughs> to worship music only. <laughs> he's like, there's Evolution, been some shifts. Baby. Yeah, literally. <laughs>
1: it's
0: kind of beautiful. Worship music just... Oh, but just, it's thank you, T.
2: It just hits different,
0: but it's interesting. Okay, so on the worship music, like even thinking about elevation worship, um, uh, not graves into gardens, but there's a song, it's like about winning the battle. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that?
2: Not the uh, lion one, I love
0: that one, but there's one of their songs where it's about that's where I'm like, okay, do I kind of stop here winning the uh-huh. battle? Like, <laughs> do I enabled? stop
2: here yeah. like
0: against Satan or what? Yeah, because mm-hmm. they're always like, they're always the enemy. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, see yeah. a victory for sure. I'm gonna see a victory. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And that's
0: that one. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. That, I know one. that one. Yeah. So, is that what do we think about that?
2: What, what do we feel about this? <laughs> yeah.
0: How do we feel about battles? Let's roll.
2: It's a good question because when I listen to worship music now, I think when you understand oneness and stuff, you can, you sort of will naturally take out the du- dualistic aspect. Yeah. It's like, okay, so it's not a battle with an enemy like the devil or something. yeah. But I just hear it as like a battle with a part of myself. I'm trying to transcend Mm. and it doesn't bother me, right? But I understand how some people who have just come out of Christianity can't Mm -hmm. listen to that stuff because it reinforces the dualistic thinking Mm. that they're so ingrained with. But I think after enough time away from that, you can come back with a total oneness paradigm and like any song, Mm -hmm. you can suit it to that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What was your experience with religion and Christianity growing up?
2: It was really good, honestly. Mm -hmm. I was really blessed that my parents' church was like the best Christian church you can imagine growing up in. We did worship services all the time. We had like crazy miracles and stuff happen, healing services. Like what? What was the miracle? like, Like physical healing, like cancer, diabetes, heart disease, blindness, deafness. We would see all that stuff healed on a regular basis. Through prayer? Through, yes, but also through worship. We would, we would get into these environments where, you know, you've got like 200 people like crying out to God, you know, tears down their face, just opening their heart. Mm-hmm. It's like, just imagine how much energy is in the room. And so like diseases would just get healed and crippled. People would get up and walk and throw their crutches away. Like I saw this stuff all the time as a wow. kid. So it was like normal to me to see the supernatural. And we just didn't talk about hell, the rapture, any of the dogma. Mm-hmm. It was always the love of God, the forgiveness Mm. of God. Jesus loves Mm. you. So it was when I went to Oral Roberts University that I was first really confronted with the dogmatism of Christianity. And like, there was dogmatism, but we just didn't emphasize it. And I didn't have to really face it too much. I could kind of excuse it away. But when you're at a school or my first church that I worked at, It was like constantly, Mm -hmm. relentlessly, everyone's going to hell. We're the only ones who are going to heaven. And unless they believe what we believe, they're doomed. And when you experience a God of such love and compassion Mm -hmm. and kindness your whole life, it's just this total conflict, Mm -hmm. this inner conflict all the time when you hear that. And it eventually forced me to be like, okay, do I really believe in that version of God or not? Cause if I don't, I need to get the hell out of this church Mm -hmm, and stop, mm -hmm. you know, hanging out with these people who believe this stuff. And that's what I did at 23. And it was, it was like a five year shift because I think at like 18 years old, when I first started going to college is when I was really bumping up against that stuff. But it took me five years to accept like, all right, if I leave this religion, goodbye to all my friends most of my family will probably ostracize me. I'll have to blow my life up, start all over. I was newly married. We were both Christians at the time and mm-hmm. she was making the shift with me, but not as radically as were I you 18? was. I got married at twenty twenty three. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: we stayed married for another three and a half years after we left the church and we're trying to figure out what we believe in stuff. But it was that big leap of faith of like, okay, do I trust that God will provide me with a new life without all these people I've grown yeah. up with? And, I finally, you know, had to pull the trigger because the, the internal conflict was too much. And that's exactly what happened. All my friends, you're a heretic, you're a cult leader, you're a blasphemer, don't talk to us. My family never talked to me again outside my parents and sister. It was like this total excommunication. But I I prepared for it, right? Uh, and moved back to California, started my life over, and here we are. So
0: wow. It worked out. And what what has been your path for forgiveness with that?
2: A course in Miracles. Yeah. Yeah. I first came across that text right around that transition period uh, when you're first open to questioning and and exploring new materials for the first time. You know, anything channeled was evil, satanic. You don't read that stuff. But once you take God outside of that little box and you're like, oh, wow, God's actually way bigger than that. So there's actually no real danger to explore because it's all just God out there. I gave myself permission to read Buddhism, Hinduism, A Course in Miracles, and I didn't understand anything I was reading, really, from that text. I I saw the verbiage, salvation, Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit, the Christ. I was like, yeah, this sounds cool, but I don't really know what it's saying, Mm -hmm. though. (laughs) But there was that one line that this first page of ACIM, nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists, and herein lies the peace of God. That was the line that I was just like, yes to that. That's a hundred percent resonates as true in my being because that's what I came out of. It was like, everything's mm. a threat. God's threatened by everyone, false beliefs, you know, will send you to hell. And it was like, no, this is the most practical thing ever, right? If it's real, it's of God and it can't be threatened. If it's not, it doesn't exist. Don't worry about it. And so that one line stuck with me and I would reference it all the time for years and years. And then it was maybe like three or four years later that I had the poll to open the text and. At that point, I had been studying non-duality through Buddhism and Hinduism for a long time. So I had the lens to see it through. And I read it and was like, oh my goodness, this is spiritual genius that I'm reading.
1: For those that are listening that don't know what A Course in Miracles is, can you explain?
2: Yes. A Course in Miracles is a channeled text from the late 70s. The story is really amazing, but I won't go into that because it's super long. But this woman was automatic writing. And was essentially, she was hearing this voice in her head that said, this is A Course in Miracles. Please take notes. Mm-hmm. And that voice was just always there. And she was like, man, why? She's
0: like, this much notes?
2: Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: thousands of pages. She's like, She's Jesus it. Of- <laughs> She's <laughs> like,
1: I need to have a hand transplant before we go on. <laughs> I need to learn to
2: write with my left hand. <laughs> She's
0: bleeding. She's like, how many more notes?
2: <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's like... It's, it's like longer than it's, the Bible.
0: It's thick. It's so thick. And the yeah. pages are so thin. So thin. <laughs> <laughs> a little like cigarette. like <laughs> Cigarette paper, yeah. yeah. So
2: she she basically was just like, all right, I'm just going to do what this voice is telling me to do. And she started writing, and then automatic writing started happening, and she, over seven years, wrote the whole course. It's basically a psychosomatic text that's couched in Christian language. It's It's really ingenious if you try to break down why this entity, whoever it was, delivered this text Mm -hmm. in this way. I think there's a big aspect of free will in this, that higher dimensional beings don't want to just give us all the answers to everything because we're not at the stage yet where we can understand it or integrate it. So free will is a big law, natural law, that those beings abide by. So it's like, we'll tell you what you're ready for and see how you integrate it. And then we'll go piece by piece So I think that entity delivered this amazing text about basically mind healing, understanding the laws of perception so that you can actually have inner peace. I think it delivered it through this really disguised Christian-y language because it wants you to be ready for it by the time you understand it. So all of the words are like symbols that point to something kind of Mm. beyond themselves. Mm. Because, you know, if you come at spiritual truth like super placidly and directly it doesn't always have an effect the mind can't really grapple with it too well if you if you make it symbolic and metaphorical and use analogies the mind has a better time with Mm. it for some reason it's more open i think Mm. so it uses that language i think for that reason to be like tools that allow you to know that obviously when it says holy spirit salvation atonement it's clearly indicating a truth beyond that word. And so it's inviting you to like, what, is, what do I mean when I use that term? Mm. And you have to do a lot of contemplation and inquiry. So it comes off as a Christian text, but it's totally not. It's just borrowing the gospel language ah. as a teaching device, if that makes sense.
1: When I first approached the text, I was like, whoa. Like, where do I begin? Yeah. Because even I was like, I'm not even making a dent. Like, I kind of <laughs> yeah. had like that human ego of like, I'm never going to finish this book. But how would you recommend someone like approach the text? And you said contemplation. Are there kind of these invitations to put it down and contemplate? And
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is definitely not a text you want to read like a book. Cause you'll just blow through it and be like, I don't know what I just read. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's very
2: much a contemplative text, yeah. but it's like the biggest text ever. So if you read it correctly, it should take you years to yeah. finish. So I always recommend people start with the daily lessons. But even before that, there is a section that says the clarification of terms. That's really helpful to go through that and understand, okay, when it says atonement, here's what it really means. You can also find a good ACIM teacher and just listen to them, you know. You teach. you, Mm -hmm. Right, yes.
0: (laughs) You did did two years of every day.
2: One year. One year of every
0: day. So they went through the entire text in 365 days every day on a call.
2: It was a commitment, but it was so fun. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's so
2: cool. So you get the terms down and then I would say jump into the daily lessons. So it's bite-size stuff and it really delivers kind of the gold from the course right away of like, here's what understanding these truths will do for you and lead you to the peace of God, universal love, compassion, and all that stuff. So you get to experience like the flavor of it. And you, after doing one lesson a day for a whole year, you'll totally have the framework needed to dive into the text, which is like 600 something pages. And it's like deep philosophy of mind training and perception. But if you're looking for some kind of tool that will help you to understand how your mind works There's no better resource than ACIM.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's the ultimate like 5D. Yeah. You know, it's like the ultimate 5D mind. So what would you say the main principles or teachings are from A Course in Miracles?
2: Definitely forgiveness Mm -hmm. is the main teaching that the Course puts forward. It, It sort of lays this roadmap and says the problem is suffering or separation. We believe we're separate. What we are all wanting is the peace of God. And the bridge from separation to peace is forgiveness. And the way I like to see forgiveness is as you remembering who you really are. uh, Because it's so often seen as this huge act of disempowerment and like a violation of your own integrity or something. So the ego's version of forgiveness is you really did that horrible thing to me. You really hurt me. I'm just going to overlook it and just forgive you. So I'm making your illusion real and then trying to overlook reality, which Mm. can't happen. You'll never actually forgive someone if you think they really hurt me. So the course says your problem is you don't know who you are, right? Mm -hmm. You think you're this fragile little separate self, this little body that can be easily attacked. Even a mere word these days can shatter somebody, right? And as long as that's your perception of yourself, have fun with that. You're always going to suffer. There's no winning from that point of view. What forgiveness does is it shows you, oh, I'm not that fragile little separate self that's easily damaged and hurt by anyone or anything. I am, they call it the Christ, which we see as like the highest ideal for a human, the highest Mm. state of transcendence that one could attain. Of, of godhood or god realization that's actually what we all are at our core and if you know that's what you are i am eternal uh, i'm not something that is subject to birth or death so nothing can harm me like that opening line we talked about so i don't need to worry about what other people do to me you know then i can start seeing everyone's actions as a reflection on them and their state of consciousness and when we see that it inspires forgiveness. So naturally, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Because we're like, oh, that person's being a jerk because they're full of pain and they need to take it out on somebody. And so we're moved by love and compassion to forgive that person because there's this natural, I think, component of like spiritual intelligence that we all have Mm -hmm. that once I see someone's real state and I stop taking it personally, then I don't want to be involved with that level of insanity, Mm-mm. right? So if I'm in a psych ward and there's someone in a straight jacket talking to me about a spotted pink elephant behind mm-hmm. me, and it's going to get me. I don't want to play into that delusion mm-hmm. with that person because if I do, I'm as insane as they are. Mm-hmm. So instead mm-hmm. I might listen to that person and I understand they're crazy. So I'm not taking what they're saying personally, but out of love I'm listening and holding space and hoping that my presence will elevate them out of that insanity. Mm-hmm. Well, of course says that's what we should always be doing with everybody. If someone's behaving unlovingly, it's because they're insane and they need healing. Mm-hmm. And you can be the space, the presence, the truth that shows them that light. And that's the premise of forgiveness.
0: Yeah, I love in course how it's like, they're insane. Like, I just love the <laughs> where It's like insanity, <laughs> illusion. Yeah, It's just super, super direct. But in law of one, that's one of the biggest principles is forgiveness. And yeah. forgiveness is the eradicator of karma. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: yeah a, amazing subject that uh, the Law of One teaches. those two texts just go so well mm-hmm. together. I like to say that ACIm uh, sort of explains, let's say the law of one. The law of one explains the what and the where. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what is the universe? Yeah where are we? Who are we? you know And then the course explains like the why and the how. Why does the universe work this way? How do we transcend it? So they really work well when you understand them together. And Ra says that forgiveness, as we just described, it is also the only thing that actually eradicates karma. Mm. And karma is, for those who may not be familiar, is the energy that keeps a soul bound to reincarnation. So if I get entangled in a life incarnation by betraying people, hurting people, being hurt by people, I have all this stuff I haven't worked out in my soul. But my soul has to come back in another human body to relive those certain experiences and have an opportunity to learn those lessons and say, okay, now I forgive and I don't, I'm not involved anymore. And Ross says, the only thing that actually elevates the soul out of that rat race is forgiveness, which is again, knowing who I am, I'm the creator. So I love everyone equally. I don't hold anything against them. Now the universe looks at a soul like that and says, okay, so this soul kind of like a third grader who passes the basic math and stuff. Okay, you have learned the lessons of this realm. So now you're ready to be graduated to the next realm, which is fourth density, right?
1: Mm. I was thinking about how so much of our relating, I'm thinking about maybe us in our 20s or in college or whatever was about not forgiving on like a general sense where like, we relate to one another by talking about the problem or talking about how someone has done something to you. And there's just this camaraderie that has formed in Mm -hmm. society around not forgiving because I think I've had moments now as me in my 30s and just kind of doing all of this work and growth where someone will look at me like I'm crazy when I'm listening, I'm neutral, I'm Mm -hmm. not reacting, I'm not playing into the story of like, yeah, aren't they, like, Mm -hmm. isn't that so fucked up or whatever? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And there's this kind of, it's not a separation, but it's kind of this call for me to hold that pose and not play into the loop and lower myself to relate. And I think that's something that uh, many people in our community have experienced where they're kind of learning like, wow, actually, I want to feel this way. And I really appreciate when I listen to my higher self in a situation and I don't lower myself to relate. Did you have a point in your evolution where you were experiencing that contrast with friends, with family? And how did you kind of move through that? Because it can feel a little lonely, Mm -hmm. or
2: at least in my experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sort of feels like I'm always moving into the next level of that. Mm -hmm. Because you're right, it's a very stark contrast when you leave the thought system of the world behind. ACIM says this, right? It says, from the perspective of ego's thought system, God's thought system of oneness and universal love looks insane and vice versa. When you're in God's thought system, the ego's looks insane. And it says you're actually only in one or the other. There's no such thing as having one foot in both camps because they contradict each other like black and white. So when we start integrating the truth of oneness, at first, it's a concept. And maybe we talk about it a lot, we tell everybody about it, but we still react negatively when somebody hurts us or something. So it takes quite a while, I think, for truths that we know to move from the mind to the heart, and it starts being a part of our being. Mm -hmm. Where Ra talks about this in The Law of One, you start to become a being of radiance, where the love energy you've integrated into your literally into your chakras, right? People actually feel it. Because you do hold that space, you don't react the way they expect you to, and that is the most potent medicine for ego. To be around somebody with a quiet mind, an open heart, without any fear—that's um, not something egos used to. It's not. That's not a person that most people encounter very much in life. So it's completely disorienting to ego's thought system, and that's why you hear this cliche all the time these days. But what we all we need is love in the world that's what we need right now to end this crazy insanity of this strife between left and right or whatever factions it is right we were flying over here into LA yesterday and oh i got to tell you that story oh, by yeah, the way i can't
0: wait <laughs>
2: we were flying in and i was looking at the amazing like architecture of the way the homes are built and it's very like geometric and i love sacred geometry i'm mm-hmm. like wow amazing that humans build that and then this thought occurred to me like we can build all of this, and we can't even get along.
0: I know
2: it's so crazy to think mm-hmm. about.
0: Mm-hmm. Or like yeah. we can't even figure out recycling.
2: Or <laughs> I'm, many, obs- you know, I'm obsessed <laughs> with recycling.
0: I'm like, why all this technology and no recycling solutions? Yeah, mm-hmm. what was the story?
2: So this is gonna this is gonna blow your mind because you're kind of involved in this. So I got this comment. Even better. Yeah. He's like, continue. <laughs> Tell me about me. <laughs> you
0: literally. Now that we're live. <laughs>
2: so I got this comment from a guy less than a week ago, and it was a really long comment. And he said something like, hey, I'm from Canada. Do you guys know Alex? Yeah. Okay. So I was at Alex's birthday in Austin, and I posted a story with some of them and tagged the location. Apparently, he saw my story. And okay, Aaron's in Austin. And he said, I flew out here to see you because I really need some advice. I'm going through a really hard time of depression. And I was just thinking if I could just get a chance to meet you, even for 30 minutes, if you could spare the time, that would really help me. But I understand if you can't and stuff. And it was a really long comment. So I was like, wow, I I I definitely got to respond to this, but I don't know exactly what Mm -hmm. to say. I've had a few people that were like stalkery before who did that. So you always want to be careful about how you respond, but I knew I didn't have the time in that three-day period to go see a stranger. So I was trying to think of how am I going to respond and um, get drawn into my other work and forget about it. And then the next day it popped into my mind, oh, I should respond to that guy. And then he posted it again on a YouTube video. So he sent this message three times and I just didn't get around to responding to him. And first of all, nobody knew we were coming here. Nobody, but my parents. And you guys know mm-hmm. that I'm here right now. So I didn't post like I'm going to be in the airport sure. or traveling. But we're walking through the airport. And I hear this guy say my name really quietly. And I turn around and this guy's standing there. And he's sort of like, hey, can I shake your hand? And it's happened to, uh, every so often somebody will like recognize me from YouTube. And so I was like, hey, man, what's up? What's your name? And he's like, I'm Calvin. I I, I flew out here to see you. To um, LA? E- uh, to Austin. So you are okay. in the
1: Austin airport. We're Austin. in the Austin <laughs> airport. I was like, oh, wow, got to call the cops. Yeah,
2: I know, right? We <laughs> <laughs> have a stalker. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so I was like blown away. Wow. Oh, you're the guy who left that comment this week. And uh, he was like, yeah, yeah. And our flight had gotten delayed a few times. So we had like an extra hour. So I was like, let's go sit down oh. and talk. And uh, this poor guy, he was like so nervous. <laughs> he didn't expect to see us. And he was mm-hmm. on his way back to Canada. So we sat down and started talking, really just letting him talk. And he tells me about his life and how he's just been crippled with depression. And Mm. he was saying he was trying to take his life a bunch. And he said he'd climbed up a tree and hung a rope around the tree Mm -hmm. in his neck. And he was going to jump off. But part of him couldn't bring himself to do it. He was wrestling like, just do it. Just do it. He said, but my soul, like my soul kept saying, no, like you can't, there's no escape. And you're here for a reason. Like, don't give up yet. And he had this thought of like, maybe if I can go see Aaron Abke, he'll, He'll help me like get through this. Mm. Maybe that would be a sign from the universe that like I'm supposed to be here or whatever. Mm. So on, on that whim, he booked a ticket to Austin without obviously knowing me at all. And he said he missed his flight and he missed his bus to the airport three times. And he was like, Oh, maybe I'm not supposed to go. But part of him was like, no, I'm going to go. So bottom line, this whole experience blew me away because what a clear manifestation, first of all, that that is, that this guy like created that reality. And I started thinking about all of the different events that had to happen to make Mm. that happen. So you had to invite Mm. me on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I had to say yes. We had to choose the right date. He was going to be on an earlier flight that day. Our flight got delayed so that we met up. We happened to be walking in the same location. And we both, we couldn't even talk Mm -hmm. afterwards because the reality of it was hitting us. First of all, look how much God loves us, oh, that, that the universe would like bend over backwards hopes. to set that event up so that this poor guy who was suffering with depression could know he's loved and he is being looked after and that the universe does have his back. It was, it felt so humbling and such an honor to be a part of that creation. Mm-hmm. And like, I couldn't sleep last night because I was just so struck by the love of God for us. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. God is so good. Yeah. It's interesting with when you were speaking with someone that has like depression and suicidal tendencies. And I've had that a lot of my life and it's been something that's happened in my family, like suicidal ideation and tendencies. Mm. And it's only been recently that I've been like, like having conversations with that part of me. And I think when we're thinking about spiritual work, we can think about this person and it's like, so you have the rope, you're about to jump. It's like, there's something that's like, do it. That's not usually you, the soul. It's Mm. I perceive it to be entities a lot of times. It's usually something, mm-hmm. or it could be a, a different an aspect of self that you've exiled that's sort of right. having its time. But when we're able to really hear that soul, that's when it's really important. The re- reason I'm saying that is I've learned those practices in therapy to be able to pull apart that self and be like, oh my gosh, what yeah. do you have to say? Like, What's going on? This suicidal part of me, this depressed part of me. And then of course in Miracles, they talk a lot about therapy, which is actually really yeah. powerful.
1: I think one of the most pleasing gifts that you can get is skincare and body care. (laughs) We laugh about it because I know when we were young, sometimes we would get... I will not say the name brand. We will get certain sparkly creams and it would be kind of a thing. But now as an adult, I am like so obsessed with getting clean, beautiful skincare and body care. And my number one choice and what I'm getting so many people in my life that I love is Osea. So Osea is a California-based skincare and body care brand. They've been making clean, vegan, and cruelty-free skincare products for over 25 years and they use seaweed as their hero ingredient because this is a super nutrient-rich superfood. I'm sure you've heard about it, but truly, y'all, for the skin, I mean, it is chef's kiss. It also is anti-aging. It's moisturizing. Their products are just unbelievable. I wanted to shout out some of my favorites and what I would think would make great gifts. So the Andaria Algae Body Oil is like my mom cannot not get enough. I literally have three waiting in their wings at all times because I'm afraid I'm going to run out. It's their best-selling body oil. It comes in a jumbo size, which I think is a great holiday gift. And it just, it's unbelievable. It's clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and deliver deep moisturization. Um, so a lot of oils leave your skin kind of sticky and gross. Oh, this leaves it really soft and nourished and hydrated. And it's going to look amazing and it smells absolutely delicious. Okay. And I also recommend uh, the blemish prone starter set. So this is a great bundle for anyone who is blemish Prone and one of the hero products I think in this set is the ocean cleansing mud. So, this is a beautiful mud cleanser, y'all. It is rich and fabulous and smells amazing. It purges pores of impurities and reduces oily shine. It also comes with the sea minerals mist, the blemish balm, and the essential corrective complex. So, I recommend that one. That would be great for anyone in your life who you know struggles with acne, it's fab. So for our listeners, so excited per usual to offer you a discount. This brand we love and have worked with for years. So show them some love and in exchange, you are going to get some of the best skincare products on the planet. You'll get 10% off your first order with the promo code ALMOST30 at oseamalibu.com. Osea Malibu.com. You'll even get free samples with every order, which is awesome. And orders over $50 get free shipping. So that's 10% off at oseamalibu.com. Use the promo code ALMOST30. For a gift that will totally impress, check out Osea's bestseller minis collection too.
0: So in the back, there's a guide for both therapists and people that are going through therapy. What are the parts, of course, in miracles that talk about that? Or what does it say in there?
2: Yeah, I haven't gotten too much into that part of the text, but I have read it through Mm -hmm. once and the whole text is kind of therapy, right? It's like the most elevated form of therapy you could ever give someone because these teachings don't have to be couched in Christian language. You can give them very straightforward. It's just that I think it doesn't have the same effect when you come at it so straight. So, it's an effective strategy, but it's trying to show you the laws of perception that the way I allow my mind to see others, it will always apply the same standard to me. So, that's why the course says things Mm -hmm. like, by offering freedom, you will be free. Giving is proof of having. Only what I do not give can ever be lacking. We think what we want Mm -hmm. is to get from others so much. I want to get love from people, and we suffer on behalf of that belief our whole life. And the Course says, no, actually, what you really want is to give love. Because in doing that, you make yourself the source of love. And then that's a wellspring that never runs dry, like Jesus said. Mm -hmm. And so you have to put that into practice. And that's where the integration comes in. Like, it isn't enough to just know that. You have to live it, which is the service to others, I think, Mm -hmm. that Ra talks about. it. It's meeting everything with that open heart. And I love what Rumi says. You have to keep breaking your heart over and over again until it opens. Like break your heart with compassion for others. Feel the suffering of others, not from a victim-y place, but like, I feel you, brother. I feel you, sister. I'm with you. You're not Mm -hmm. alone. Let yourself be able to break like that. That's actually how the, almost like the hard shell around the heart that ego has encased it in starts to break open. Mm -hmm. And then we can actually feel for others and and see the universe through our heart, which is oneness. You can't see oneness as a concept because the conceptual mind is just inherently dualistic. It sees a subject, an object, a this, a that, a separation. And so oneness totally contradicts and defies everything our mind perceives. Mm -hmm. So we have to open the heart chakra to be able to see oneness in our experience and feel it. Because it's more of an emotive thing, right? You feel that you're one. And slowly that comes into your awareness in a bigger way. And this is why I'm such a huge fan of like, anyone who's on the spiritual path should have some understanding of sacred geometry, numerology, quantum mechanics is helpful because those subjects really expand your awareness of the nature of the universe and how everything's designed so that you actually start to see what it means to say that all is one. Ra talks about this in the Law of One that whether it's tarot, astrology, and he says... Kabbalah. Ka- Kabbalah. A, there's a bunch of teaching modalities that the adepts should study because mm-hmm. it will open your awareness to the nature of mm-hmm. things.
0: Yeah, He said tarot, astrology, Kabbalah, which I thought was interesting yeah. to, add, to add that.
2: Kabbalah is huge on sacred geometry.
0: I know. I, I really want to get into that. There's something about it for me that's like a little off. But with the sacred geometry and quantum mechanics... And numerology, what would you suggest people study? Or why do you think that's so important? Because I know about the concepts, but I actually don't know about them so deeply because I think there's this old idea that I have around numbers and geometry where Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's school Mm -hmm. and that's for boys. (laughs) Because boys are good at math.
2: (laughs) I I sure wasn't. I'll tell you that.
0: You're just singing along.
2: You don't have to know math to understand that stuff, especially numerology. Numerology just says everything is numbers, essentially. And we know this, right? We know this through science. We know this through quantum mechanics. Everything is math. Everything can be computed numerically somehow, mathematically. Sacred geometry is the understanding of how the actual physical universe is formed, right? That it all comes down to these archetypal shapes. Uh, There's the five platonic solids, which is like the only five shapes that exist, at least that we know of that are made out of all of the same shape like a square Mm -hmm. you take a square plane it can become a box right Mm -hmm. a triangle you put enough triangles together you make the tetrahedron which is a pyramid and those are the shapes that actually make up everything and uh, they can be calculated and stuff so if you understand like polarity rob talks about polarity everything is just ones and zeros it's just amazing how the universe starts to speak to you Mm -hmm and whisper its secrets to you. And you, you start to see like numbers, geometry, everywhere you look. And it's it's so incredibly sacred. There's something about it that just speaks of the sacredness of creation, this unbelievable intelligence, mm-hmm. first of all, that it just inspires like awe and reverence. But um, I'll give you an example. Have we ever talked about the concept of the divine particle?
0: No. Mm-mm.
2: Okay, this is one thing that will totally change your awareness of the universe forever so Ra talks about the way that creation was formed in the law of one and the first distortion being love and then light creates the universe so if we think about the one infinite creator is infinite so it's like an endless expanse you could almost think of what would be the opposite of that so this would have to be how the creator would make the universe it would have to project to create polarity. The whole universe is made out of polarity. It would have to create the exact opposite of its true self. And then the interplay between those two things makes the whole universe. So what's the opposite of an infinite eternal thing? Well, it would be one infinitesimally tiny point, like the most limited Mm -hmm. thing you can imagine, right? So the idea is that the whole universe is actually one particle, the divine particle, That is, because it's outside of time and space, being the creator, it is technically in every possible position that it could be in. And what we see, like this table, is just that possibility that that particle could appear there. And it could appear in so many ways that it makes a table or a person or whatever. And uh, the whole universe, as we know through quantum mechanics, is electromagnetic energy. And that's it. So, the whole universe is comprised of these two opposite forces that sort of like thrust away from each other to make positive and negative. And so if your audience is familiar with law of one, then they understand this already. If I want to be a positively polarized being, I have to go away from the negative polarity. And the farther away I go from the negative polarity, the more positively polarized I get. The closer I become, the less polarized I am right? And Ra says, Ra calls that the sinkhole of indifference, Mm. right? When you're not either way, you have no power, no charge, no ability to do work in consciousness. And that's where suffering is. It's the friction between positive and negative. Like You want to choose one or the other. So all of the universe is just positive and negative. And that's what electromagnetic energy is, right? Electro is positive, radiating. Magnetic is negative, absorbing. So when we look at any object, Let's take a rose as a good example. The rose looks red to us because it's actually the color we see is everything that the rose is not, meaning that it reflects the only color it can't absorb. Mm. All the other colors on the spectrum, the rose, the particles in the rose absorb, so we don't see them. And what it can't absorb, it reflects, and that's the light our eye picks up, and we see it as red. But actually, the rose petals are everything but red. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So look how brilliantly intelligent that is, first of all. So there's either manifest or unmanifest, right? Positive or negative. And that particle is everywhere all at once, but it is only appearing based on the way that consciousness is observing it. So the observer effect shows this, right? When we aren't looking at a particle going through the slit, it's just a wave of possibility. So that's really what consciousness is, it's just a field of possibility. And the observer that thinks and ideates and contemplates, creates thought forms, and then those appear in time-space, particle just appears in that form, right? So the only reason that a table exists is because at some point, someone in the world thought of table and made a table, and from that point on, that thought forms in all of our minds. But the idea is, theoretically, that if there was nobody aware of table anymore, then tables couldn't appear in the field of consciousness because there's no idea for a table yet. So if we understand that all of this is just the appearance of one particle in every possible position and consciousness, thought, perception makes it so, that explains basically the nature of everything. It explains the contradiction of all is one and the world is an illusion. You know, the Hindus say the world is Maya. Maya means illusion. Well, that's true, right? It's all just one particle pretending Mm -hmm. to be all these forms, um, but it's also all one. Mm -hmm. Everything is one essence. It explains entanglement. You know, in quantum mechanics, they say if you entangle two particles together, you can separate them across the universe and they'll always mimic each other. Mm -hmm. And that's because they aren't two different particles, right? Mm It actually is the same particle. It explains the observer effect like we just talked about.
0: In the double slit experiment, right? Yep. Can you explain that more?
2: Yeah, that's the experiment where they found the observer effect. Mm -hmm. They put two slits in a wall, they shoot electrons through it, and they observe it. And when they're watching the experiment, the the particle goes through the slit and just chooses one possible point on the wall. So it it collapses the wave into a particle. A possibility appears in the field, right? When they don't observe it, it's a waveform of every possible position that Particle could ever go through. Hmm. So it's like uh, if you drop a rock in a lake and it ripples out, it's sort of like mm-hmm. that. So it's a field of possibility. So what that tells us is the whole universe is a field of possibility, it's an unmanifest field. And based on observation, the possibilities collapse into one of those
0: outcomes. Outcomes, mm-hmm. exactly.
2: So, you know, light, everything in the universe is just light, photons, right? And Law of One says this. Quantum mechanics says this everything we see is appearing as solid, but it's just a bunch of light in these different entangled quantum relationships. And so, like your body, everyone around us is just an electromagnetic event of light. And all of that light is actually one particle appearing in all the possible positions needed to appear as a person. Mm. So to understand just the basics, and even that's not a good explanation of it, but like
1: great, mm-hmm.
2: just the basics of how reality works
1: mm-hmm.
2: can blow your mind to such a degree that you just start to have this reverence for everything. Yeah. Yes. Like we're inside something that's so magical, yeah, it can't even be conceived of.
1: This is a question from me, but also maybe someone is wondering as well. But the. The oneness of consciousness, I understand, but then could there be like an individual's consciousness, even though I know it's one, Mm -hmm. that like someone might experience this table as something different or not at all? Or does it have to be a collective Mm. consciousness?
2: Yeah, great question. So because consciousness is one, that would also imply that everything in the universe is a consensus reality. Yeah because there aren't two different consciousnesses duking it out to make thought forms it's just one consciousness appearing in all the different positions eyeballs or whatever mm-hmm. and so we actually in a relative sense we share the creation of the universe so that's why if a tree falls in the forest doesn't make a sound yes all the trees are sentient all the plants are sentient there's insects there's consciousness everywhere So people can get a little lost on that idea when they don't understand the idea of the consensus Mm. shared reality we have. Oneness can play as multiplicity. It can pretend that there's two. And we definitely have that experience now. It feels like we're all across the table from each other. But when you contemplate oneness on a daily basis, it's such an expansive idea. Just like meditate on it. Don't try to even think about it too much. You can almost just know all is one and What I found is that the universe loves the energy of like childlike curiosity Mm -hmm. and love. Like when you love the universe and you love God's creation and you want to know its mysteries, it's sort of like Romeo serenading Juliet or something. Like the universe can't resist to show you its beauty when you fall in love with it like that. So it has to be more of a contemplative thing. And I think that that's the limitation of science in many ways is that it's all masculine, no feminine. It's purely mm. intellectual approach. There's no heart involved in the study of creation, even to the point where they deny the existence of a creator to creation. So, well, how could you possibly expect to understand the universe if you don't think that there's a creator of it? Like that's like saying there's this painting but no painter. Mm-hmm. There's this music but there was never a musician. It's like, no, actually the fact that we know music came from a musician, like there's a source to everything. Mm-hmm. It, that, it can tell us a lot about the source. And then the source, knowing the nature of the source tells us a lot more about the painting. Mm-hmm. So they work together like that. When science can open its heart to creation and understand that it does have a source. No, it's not some monarchical being with a gray beard. We all agree mm-hmm. on that at this point. But there is a primordial intelligence, let's call it. When we look at the universe through that lens, I think gravity, electromagnetism, all these subjects that we don't understand yet will start to unravel themselves for us. But when you don't look at the universe with love, it's sort of like, well, why would I show you my secrets? Mm -hmm. You don't even love me, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: I didn't know that gravity was a theory. Yeah. I've been kind of thinking about that lately, about all the theories that were just like, yeah, this is true. Like whether it's Darwin or whether it's gravity, right. it's just we're like, yes, this is true. And we kind of move on with life, <laughs> which we could go down that. But I want to talk yeah. about Christ consciousness because I do believe that Course in Miracles is sort of like a guide or um way in which we can tap in or understand Christ consciousness. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah. You know, if we look at Christ as an archetype, then Christ consciousness makes a lot more sense. You know, Christians hate that term. Oh
0: really, Christ consciousness? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Like one of the
2: biggest heresy terms
0: because
2: well, consciousness is a heretical term for most Christians. It's like oh, it's magical and witchcraft. They sort of put everything in that basket that's outside of their framework. Yeah. But it's also because it turns Christ into something beyond the physical person. Mm -hmm. And for Christianity, it's like no, no, no. It was it's the physical person, the body that is the Son of God. Yeah, the body and blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's such a huge limitation, right? But Christ consciousness would be our way of saying that there was some kind of realization that took place in the the mind and the body of the man, Yeshua, Yahashua from first century Israel. And that person, and it also happened in the Buddha and Krishna and many others, but it happened in a certain way in the Christ, the, the person of Jesus that is also available for any of us right? It should be obvious that Jesus didn't become the inspiring, worshipful figure that he is today because he accepted Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior, right? Mm -hmm. It was because he knew that I and the Father are one. And something about that realization Mm. caused him to become what we call the Christ. So ACIM borrows that term and says, yes, it is the Christ, the consciousness that was in the Christ a true revelation of what God's nature is embodied in a person that is available to all of us. Uh, But you have to, you have to want it more than you want to be a separate self. Like it has to be the most important thing to you or minds too strong. If you don't, if you're not completely devoted to knowing higher truth and ascending your consciousness, the mind is designed very well by nature to keep you in animalistic, primal, selfish mode And it's that way on purpose. It's a beautiful device for the evolution of consciousness Mm -hmm. because it requires consciousness to be all in for truth in order to transcend it. But nevertheless, it is not something that you're going to stumble into. And so to have the awareness Christ had means that you have to see yourself the way Christ saw himself, which was clearly not as a body, not as a physical person. Christ said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to die to yourself. That was his first prerequisite. So, if Jesus is asking his disciples to get rid of their false sense of self, obviously he would have done it too. So, now we can't look at any of his statements, his I am statements, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. We can't look at that as him saying, I, the human persona, the body, Jesus, am the way. Because he already said, I've died to myself. There's no person here talking. It is divine realization talking through this body. Mm. And that's the I that Jesus refers to of I am the way. It's the universal I. It's the I of the universe that is in every body, every person, everywhere. But it has to be realized, right? Mm. Because it's dreaming right now. It's sort of having this dream of Krista, Lindsay, and Aaron. And it's a beautiful dream and it's on purpose. It's not wrong or something. But every dream has to end with you awakening, right? Mm. So I love what the course says. It says the kind of rest we're really looking for comes from waking, not from sleeping. Mm -hmm. Mm.
1: I love that. How do you explain the fact that like you Aaron Abke are on earth in a body right now with what seems to be maybe we've done many awakenings, but like what seems to be quite a important awakening period for the collective?
2: How do I explain that?
1: Yeah, how do you feel about it? Yeah
2: <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thing going on it's It sort of makes sense to me that like how could an infinite Eternal singular being ever know itself without some kind of experience of otherness. This is one of my favorite ways to like wake people up to higher truth or like you're something beyond this body. It's a good party trick. Mm -hmm. You could say to somebody, Do you believe that the idea of infinity exists? Or like in your estimation, scientifically speaking, do you think infinity exists that the universe might be infinite? And I've never had someone say no. I've only ever had yes or probably. Or like, we don't know, but it seems like it is because our telescopes just see as far as they can and then that's it. So it might be infinite. So, okay, so yes or probably. Either way, if you acknowledge that infinity exists, then you're infinity, right? Because there isn't something other than infinity in infinity. It's just that. Everything is infinity expressing itself. Mm. So people will kind of go, And they just like have to take that in for a second.
0: They're like, I'm just trying to hang out, man.
2: I'm "I'm just trying to get high, bro. Literally.
0: They're like, dude, I'm I'm just trying trying to get drunk. drunk. It's actually what you say
2: when someone's already high. Yeah, honestly. (laughs) So it sort of drops in like that where you're like, oh, yeah, this avatar, Aaron, like has to exist because it's one possibility in God's infinite self. And that's what makes it sacred. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what makes it beautiful because it, it is an expression of the universality, but it also implores you to not be singularly focused on it because everything else is also an expression of that. So again, we come back to sacredness like over and over again. Everything just shines with this kind of innocence and sacredness that it's all on purpose. There's no mistakes in reality. It's There seems to be mistakes when we look at it through a dualistic separate perception of I'm this person that wants these things. And if I don't get them, that's a mistake. Man, I could have said that when my flight got delayed Mm -hmm. yesterday. Oh, my flight's delayed. What a mistake. And yet look what the universe did through that. Mm. So it's like, no, it's all one being orchestrating every event, every circumstance and situation to know itself in a new way. And that's always been happening. And it always will be happening because it's infinite. So like when you, kind of grok that what can you do but just be silent and be in awe of it you know Mm -hmm. yes
0: yeah before we were talking about the nervous system as it relates to spiritual experiences and your ability to have them and i think for a lot of people that's something that they seek to have more of especially during these times where awakenings are happening or awakenings are accelerating or evolving what's the relationship between the nervous system and that ability
2: Love this question. Yeah, I
0: -hmm. I do too. (laughs) That's why I asked it. That's 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 such a good one.
2: (laughs) Well, I like to also see consciousness as the absolute, the source that is being reflected in a human nervous system. Mm -hmm. Consciousness can only express itself through our seven energy centers. And the energy centers are like the subtle nervous system to the physical nervous system. So I just explain it this way to my students and people that We try to have oneness experiences. We try to feel love. We try to feel peace. And we do in very fleeting glimpses. And then it goes away and the the fear and the separation comes back and we're back in duality again. And we're like, man, why is oneness and bliss and happiness so fleeting? Well, it's not fleeting. It's actually, it is the nature of the source. The source is the only being that exists. So there's nothing to threaten it. It has, it always has its will accomplished because it's infinite and has all power. So like it's always in ecstatic bliss and happiness. It has no Mm. problems. So at the core of what we are, we are that bliss and happiness if we realize our true nature. So why can't we? Well, the law of one kind of explains this from the densities perspective that we're in these third density bodies, which are the density of separation. So the nervous system is actually built to continually reinforce separation because it's survival, right? It's survival of the fittest, Mm -hmm. look out for number one, be aware of the threats in your environment. So there's a purpose to it. But as consciousness is evolving up that spectrum, the next density level is the level of love, which is where bliss and happiness and radiant joy are finally experienced. And so the human nervous system has to be upgraded from a third density level to a fourth density level. And that happens through spiritual effort and spiritual practice. But what really sets that off, that transformation, is what we have classically called a kundalini awakening. We all kind of know this phenomenon is very real. Many people listening have experienced it. But it's sort of like, what the hell is that? This massive surge of energy flowing up your spine out the top of your head that leaves you in this kind of you know, divine ecstasy for a few minutes. And then typically people after that event, their psychology just unravels. Well, that's because that fourth density energy is existing in potential at the base of everyone's spine and the root chakra, but it's awaiting activation through spiritual discipline and effort through loving, forgiving, you know, opening the heart. There's a kind of energetic signal, I guess, that is sent to our energetic nervous system that says, okay, this being is polarizing enough that it's time to activate the next level of consciousness in the nervous system so people will experience this crazy die-off of every old pattern and trauma and pain. All the unfinished business right? that they haven't dealt with will come up to be seen and experienced and healed. And there's no escaping it because that energy is awakened now and it's surging through the nervous system and it's burning away all the third density stuff. But the beautiful part of that, when you make it through that dark night of the soul, which can take people years sometimes, is that then you notice that there's this capacity you have to sustain bliss and peace and love. It's like the engine of your nervous system now has more horsepower or something. Mm. So it can actually sustain that frequency that at a third density level was just too much vibration for it to carry. And it's like, we can have it for a little bit and then it it burns out the nervous system. We've all experienced this, right? You have a peak experience, a mystical experience, and then it's like it crashes and it's over. It's like, you actually don't have the vibrational capacity to sustain it until you upgrade that nervous system. And that's Mm. the purpose of yoga. That's the purpose of meditation. All of these Hatha yoga, Kriya yoga, Kundalini, we could list a million of them. They're all these ancient technologies that are designed through breath work and bandhas and asanas, to stimulate the nervous system and flush prana into it to start opening it and purifying it. And that will eventually set off a Kundalini awakening. That is the beginning of that actual like neurobiological transformation.
1: Mm, Like what was the catalyst for
2: yours? So with a lot of people, it starts with these weird symptoms. Mm. Um, one of the most notable ones will be like weird burning sensations or have you ever had like, it feels like there's a hot needle somewhere in your body. Mm-hmm. And then it goes away after a few seconds. And mm-hmm. you're like, what was that?
1: Yeah.
2: That's typically an indication that energy is starting to awaken. And <clears throat> you're feeling the friction of negative and positive energy bumping into each other. And the Kundalini is kind of burning its way through that knot. And so it's felt as a physical pain. Mm-hmm. And that started happening to me a few years ago, which made me start doing some Googling. And I had no clue what Kundalini was, although I knew it was a thing. But all my researching led me to people online who were having a lot of these kundalini problems. And I found essentially Kriya Yoga was like the number one recommendation. And if you're a fan of Yogananda, then you've probably heard of that. And it's just the art of spinal breathing, which really balances that energy. And it harmonizes our feminine and masculine a lot. Mm. And so it allows this kind of smooth opening of that energy through the nervous system and it, if you have a lot of kundalini symptoms, it will tend to ground them a bit, but it also is a gradual awakening process of that energy. So I started doing that in 2019 and it was in, I think, middle of 2021 last year that the symptoms were really coming to a head. And what, what actually set it off for me was uh, chanting. Mm. I'd heard about Joppa chanting with uh, like an actual mala necklace. And I'd been called to it for many, many months, but hadn't actually just sat down to do it. And so I had probably done it for like a week or two. And I was really enjoying the practice of just chanting a mantra 108 times. <clears throat> and this is a huge practice in kundalini yoga that gurus give people. Like, you want to awaken your kundalini? Chant this secret mantra <laughs> every day and it'll eventually awaken. So I did that. And one night I decided to do three rounds of it. And so I did three rounds of Hare, Hare Shakti, Hare Shiva, took me like 30 minutes. And then I went down to the couch to watch one of our shows with Selena and I was having this crazy restless leg syndrome. If you know what that feels like, Mm -hmm. it was super bizarre and I can't get comfortable. And I'm like writhing on the couch for like hours while we're watching Netflix. And eventually we went to bed and it just got worse and worse. And I'm like wiggling around in bed. Like I'm so uncomfortable in my body. And I just finally dozed off to sleep and this crazy event set off where I woke up to the classic, like a, someone attaches a fire hose to the bottom of your spine or something. And there's this massive surge of energy, fractal geometry. You know, I could, I could explain that in another podcast, but an insane experience that can't really be put into words. And it was after that event that the experience of having a more expanded nervous system started to happen where I started noticing after weeks, weeks after that event, that I was in bliss a lot of the time. And to the point where I didn't realize I was, because mm-hmm. I just was. Mm-hmm. But a thought started occurring to me of, hey, like I've been really blissed out the last few days. And that's not a normal thing for me. And that that has continued to expand even now, because it's a very long process. Some people, it's like a 10-year process. But that energy essentially has to be systematically taken up through each chakra. Eventually to the crown and sort of stabilized there. So that's why Kriya is a great practice for that because you're breathing the energy up to the crown, you know, mm. 20, 30 times a day. Um, so yeah, that's a little kind of insight to that's how it all beautiful. works.
0: Wow. That's like Joe Dispenza does that too. Yes. Bring it to the crown. He's like, come on. He's like, you got one more. Come on.
2: I'm like, shut
0: up. I hate that. He's like, come on, just one more. Just one more.
2: Joe, Joe. feels like a
0: lie. Because it's like, you know, the instructor's like, hey, eight more. And then they're like, just getting 10 more. Yeah. Every time I'm like, no more. (laughs) That's what
2: good personal trainers do. Yeah. Uh
0: No, no, I get mad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Tell me the truth. (laughs) Don't lie to me. (laughs) Mm. Um, Joe, Joe actually. Yeah. He does a really like radical, intense form of Kriya. Yeah. And it's actually kind of a taboo in Indian circles yes. because it's not recommended to let people who may have a ton of impurities in their nervous system and stuff to just blow the doors off of their nervous system with that energy because you can awaken it Mm -hmm. if you try hard enough. Some people, it awakens when a motorcycle accident, falling down the stairs, even like a severe trauma can sometimes awaken people's kundalini. I don't know why that works Mm -hmm. that way but it it can leave people in psychological shambles. And they'll think that they're schizophrenic. They'll go to a psychiatrist and get all these antidepressants and that makes it way worse. So it's like, if you're going to do that, you should probably teach people what it is, how to deal with and facilitate what may happen after. And people go to Joe's events and they have these Kundalini awakenings and they're on the floor shaking and stuff. And it's like, all right, have fun with that. And they go home and they're like, I don't know how Mm -hmm. to deal with all this Mm. shit coming up now. And what I thought was interesting was I went to a event in September last year with my mom for her birthday, and it was great. But on the way back in the airport in Mexico, I ran into super sweet lady. And I had this really weird experience where basically I, we did the breathing thing up to the crown like 20 times. And then we laid down and he has you do 30 fire breaths. Mm-hmm. And fire breathing is like the number one way to stimulate kundalini. And on the 30th breath, this energy exploded out of my fingertips. Like Emperor Palpatine or something, mm-hmm. and my fingers broke out in these hives, like these wow. huge bumps, and they were no really way. painful. It was crazy. It was some kind of like nervous system reaction, but it's moving all that energy out, right? It's like a detoxifying event. So my fingers were covered in these bumps that hurt and itched like crazy, and so I asked her about it. I was like, "Hey, um, have you ever had this happen to somebody?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she was like, "It's happened a few times like that." but she's like we do have a lot of people that are kind of like wrecked you know and don't know what just happened to them or how to deal with it mm. and and she without me saying anything about my opinion she sort of yeah. said secretly to me like it's kind of like a taboo to be doing this and like we should probably teach people how to integrate more than we do but um but it's a it's a great like shtick for a retreat to like hey we're gonna do this crazy thing you're gonna have a crazy experience Mm -hmm. but it's so much more than that and that's something i'm really passionate about teaching is like the facilitation of that experience
0: yeah because then too you're kind of reliant on the guru you know once you have that experience you're like this is the place i had Mm -hmm. this i'm seeking it again You know, and then you're like, this is how I got it. This is the person that it happened with. So I'm safe with them. Yeah. I was talking to someone about an experience they had at one of the retreats and they said it was like very interesting because it was very, in a very distorted way, very sexual. Mm -hmm. The energy was very sexual, I think because of the kundalini. So what's the relationship between kundalini energy and sexual energy?
2: Yeah. So kundalini is our sexual energy. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you'll hear people say it's our feminine energy. Mm -hmm. But feminine energy is essentially sexual energy, which is just like primal, creative energy. Masculine energy is mental energy. Mm -hmm. So we have these two nadis around our spine, the Ida and the Pingala. Ida carries feminine, moon energy, Pingala carries masculine, solar energy. And when we awaken kundalini, it is essentially the awakening of our sexual energy being exalted for spiritual purposes. So that's why for men, like semen retention is like the number one practice. They'll say, if you want to awaken your Kundalini and you're a guy, you got to start retaining your semen because if you're just letting it out all Mm -hmm. the time, then you're not giving any resource for Kundalini to use for spiritual ascension. Mm. So what's really cool is that when you preserve your sexual energy, which doesn't mean not having sex, it just, there's certain ways that Tantra yoga, especially, gives you different techniques Mm -hmm. to use with a partner and sacred sexuality to sublimate that energy rather than just expel it for personal gratification. Mm -hmm. But when you are preserving it and using it for spiritual means, it actually starts moving up your spine through your cerebral spinal fluid. And Joe talks about this at his events. When you do the breath work, you're actually using prana to push cerebral spinal fluid up the spine into the pineal gland And he talks about the crystals and the pineal gland and you you put pressure on them and it causes that to happen. Well, your, your cerebral spinal fluid starts drawing up sexual energy from your sacral chakra Mm -hmm. up the spine, up to the brain. And I like to say that sexual energy is like the currency that Kundalini uses to purchase spiritual evolution with. So it's like the building blocks she uses because it's the only creative energy there is. So if you're going to build a new nervous system, you need that energy. So what happens in, in kundalini yoga, it's called the nectar cycle, where over enough time in spiritual practice, kriya yoga, you're drawing sexual energy up all the time. It makes its way up to the brain, and then it starts to eventually drip down the back of your throat, and they call it amrita in Sanskrit, which means mm. nectar. And it's actually the cerebrospinal fluid coming down the throat, and you swallow it, sort of like mucus, but it has like a milky, salty, sweet flavor. And you swallow it and then it goes into your gut and it starts transforming through the GI tract, which is kind of another hub of your nervous system. So it's this cycle your body makes of your sexual energy that it's literally sublimates into expanding your nervous system to become a fourth density mm. being essentially. Wow. It's an amazing process. That's
1: wow. Fascinating. I know. Holy moly. I know what I'm doing next Yeah, literally.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're just like, Uh.
1: (laughs) the Kriya. My number one tip for staying sane during the holiday season is keeping your body moving. And what's better than not only keeping your body moving, but looking good while you do it and feeling good while you do it. My number one brand to look and feel good while working out is Lululemon. They also got me on the athleisure, but I love Lululemon. I've been a fan for years and years and years, like well before my soul cycle days. Their quality of product is just well above the rest. I have leggings from Lululemon from like four years ago that are still incredibly intact and don't smell, you know? I also just love their styles, their colors. They do it right. And this holiday season, oh my God, I got a sneak peek at holiday 2022 from Lululemon. Y'all, some people in my life are getting some awesome gifts from Lululemon. So I highly recommend checking out Lulu if you are gift giving this holiday season or perhaps wanting to give people an idea of what you want. I am eyeing the base pace, high rise, tight. I like the 28 inch, I'm a 5'8 gal this material is super warm. It's sweat wicking, it's quick drying, and it has this brushed texture, uh, keeping you really warm if you're working out outside, especially. I love it. Just looks good on every single body and comes in amazing colors. I'm also looking at the down for it all vest. I love a vest when I'm running outside It has glide fabric, windproof water resistant, super, super sleek. I love it. So check out the holiday 2022 over at lululemon.com. Set joy in motion for you and for people in your life. It's the best gift ever. Enjoy. How practically, I suppose, for people, you know, things that they can do on a daily basis, can you realize slowly your true Mm -hmm. nature?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is what I do for a living is teaching people how to do this and come back to the basics really of daily meditation is so important because again, we are already that, we are already the source but it's so close to us. We can't see it kind of like a fish Mm -hmm. can't see the water. It's swimming and it's all it knows. So it's an extremely subtle realization actually to, to see that you are one with everything. People think of it as this peak experience Mm -hmm. and it can be that in fleeting glimpses, but to actually have that realization in a way that it stays with you and you live from that place, it's actually an incredibly subtle realization And so what is required to have that is a quiet mind. And every sage basically has said this, right? That really all we actually have to do is keep quiet and just be present with reality and don't think about it. Don't try to understand it with your mind. Just let it speak to you. And to me, that's what silence really is. Silence is listening to the universe. We are surrounded by reality and the universe And so in a sense, it's like, it's always speaking to us from every direction, but we're so noisy up here. We have so many opinions and judgments about everything that we're drowning out that still small voice that's always speaking. So like the Tao says, um, when you speak, it is silent. When you are silent, it speaks. So I think daily meditation is the, has to be the number one approach. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean like you sit down on a cushion and meditate, although that's the way I recommend, and that's helpful. (laughs) But like, you can meditate anywhere you are. In a way, you guys are meditating right now just because you're present and listening to me. But like, in your daily life, when you're driving, when you're doing stuff, you can just be quiet inside and just be with what is. You're doing dishes? Just do the dishes. Don't think about it. Don't ruminate over all the stuff that happened. Just be here now. Mm -hmm. That's meditation. And that has an effect of calming and quieting the mind, which is to say calming the nervous system. Mm-hmm. The mind is just a reflection of our nervous system, right? But when you don't have to think so much, like you take this massive burden off of your mind because the mind is that survival mechanism. That's like, I have to understand everything and protect myself from everything. Yeah. And it's it's kind of always in this fight or flight. Yeah. So when your mind's noisy, it's like you have this huge burden on your mind that it, it can't see reality. It's just too much... A heaviness on it. When we quiet the mind, we're, we're sort of teaching the mind, hey, you can relax now. You don't have to worry about threats anymore. You don't have to try to understand everything because it's beyond understanding. Just experience it. Like Just be with it and let it reveal itself to you. And slowly the mind starts to fall in love with reality because it sees it as not a threat, But something very beautiful, Mm -hmm. something very mysterious that it wants to know more of. Reality has this way of inviting us into it forever. Like you'll never get to the end of the mysteries that it has for you. And that's exciting, right? Like certainty is boring. Certainty is where suffering is. We suffer because we're certain about something. And mystery is where beauty is and happiness is. And reality is that. Like Ra says, everything begins and ends in mystery and silence of mind will reveal that to you and so whatever you can do to cultivate a quiet mind whether you know self inquiry is a great practice meditation contemplation all of those things have eternal benefits that you reap the rewards in this life of course but also it's like if you want to escape that endless cycle of death and rebirth you know all the ancient texts teach this you have to quiet your mind become still inside. Let reality show you what it really is, who you really are. And then reality will say, okay, you don't need to keep being born here. You're ready for the next dimension of reality, which is mm. much more blissful than this one. Um, not that this one's inferior in some way, but it's just the way it is. So as far as like, what can I do to ascend? For me, it's always quiet your mind more because everything really flows out of that. Mm-hmm.
0: What's the difference between reality when you're talking about it there and illusion from A Course in Miracles? Because isn't this all illusion, though? Or what's.
2: Yeah, that's the most common question people ask from ACIM circles. Uh, So again, like the divine particle thing kind of showed this, right? It is both. Yeah. But I love the way that Shankara put it. Shankara is like one of the first, he sort of invented Advaita. Shankara said, reality can be explained in these three ways. All is Brahman. Brahman's the name for the absolute. All is Brahman. The world is Maya or illusion. And the world is Brahman. Mm -hmm. And so you go, okay, well, that sounds like a contradiction. But what he's pointing to is that there's just the one source. And when the world is seen as something other than that source, a separate thing, it's an illusion. But when you see that it's just the appearance of the source, then it's reality. And from that perspective, that everything is God appearing in a new way, all we ever feel towards it is love and gratitude and peace. Ramana Maharshi said, reality is nothing but peace. So any other perception you have of reality is indication that you're not seeing it correctly. There's still some duality in the way you're seeing it.
0: Mm -hmm. Good one. I wrote a question and I can't read my handwriting. <laughs> Can you? I was literally like canon leading our... Oh, this is what it was. And this will be my last question. But on the crystalline light bodies, we were talking about kundalini and the nervous system. And then I was thinking about how it basically is like changing the nature of our body and being. Mm-hmm. And I think when we talk about the crystalline light body, that's moving from carbon to a different type of light Body.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I guess I was trying. I don't know what I was going for, like with the fourth, relationship. The
2: fourth density body? Yes. Yeah. So the awakening of our Kundalini is the beginning of becoming a fourth density being mm. because it's the awakening of fourth density energy, which is a much higher vibration. Yeah. That's why I love the color spectrum because it helps you to see it better. That every density is a color, a color is a certain vibration of light. So third density is yellow, fourth density is green. If you look at a color spectrum, like on um, like when you're editing on Photoshop or something, you drag the little thing over to go from yellow to green, it it bleeds slowly into the color. So you can choose between any gradient you want of yellow or green. So it's like green first appears as this really slight lime green. You can barely tell, right? Well, think about it as when you awaken kundalini, you're now moving the pixel over to the lime green. So it's like, this is just the very, very beginning of fourth density. But this energy that's at such a higher vibration will now force biology to evolve, like Ra says, to where literally our cellular makeup Mm -hmm. will become green ray over time. And maybe in a thousand years from now or whatever, but the body has to adapt to keep up with the level of consciousness that it's trying to conduct. Ra says, anyone who exists in time and space has to incarnate into a body. Even a seventh density being has to. Uh, The body is the vehicle for consciousness, because without a vehicle, consciousness is everywhere, right? So as we are evolving as a collective, as a humanity, our physical body will become more and more moving from yellow to green, which means we'll have that way higher capacity for understanding oneness and higher consciousness. So I think it's a really important thing actually for each one of us who are on the spiritual path, who are awake to the true nature of things to, to try and awaken that energy to try and let Kundalini activate in your nervous system, because then you're passing on those genetics to the next to your kids and their kids. And that's how evolution happens is it's very progressive. And so we right now are kind of like the forerunners of fourth density in a way, just like if I have a bowl of popcorn in the microwave and I turn the heat on, it takes like, you know, a minute or something for the first kernel to pop. And in ancient times, Kundalini was very rare, but it happened, right? But especially after 2012, I think, when we mm-hmm. shifted, you go online, it feels like everybody's Kundalini's awakening. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Like I would read hundreds of people, thousands of people who are like, I had this amazing thing happen. I don't know what it is and like when you read the yoga upanishads like they talk about a kundalini awakening like it's mm-hmm. one or two people a generation it happens to mm. and it's so rare so i think that speaks a lot to how fast we're evolving but this is what humanity needs man we need higher higher vibrations on this planet and each one of us who awakens this energy is bringing in a massive amount of green ray energy onto the planet so it's it's a huge act of service i think to the collective
1: mm can animals have a kundalini awakening My God, or not yeah or are they already there
0: probably
2: <laughs> i would say yeah. no actually <laughs> yeah because i sort of have a theory actually that i think it might be true that every density level has its own kind of
0: mm-hmm. kundalini awakening
2: mm-hmm. cuz like it's just as big of a leap to go from fourth to fifth density energy yeah. where you're you're in a complete light body at that point that's a whole another spectrum right so maybe at the end of fourth density there's something that happens that's like, or maybe even exactly like Mm -hmm. our Kundalini awakening. But I think there's a huge difference between second and third density because there's no self-awareness. Yeah. And Ra says a lot about that in the law of one, that it's third density is where self-awareness comes into consciousness. So it brings in a massive amount of energy, whereas second density is kind of just left to instinct and stuff. We don't observe animals having (laughs) Kundalini awakenings. So I can't say for sure, but, um, my hunch is no. Yeah, cute. But good question.
1: <laughs> I'm sure people listening are like, "Okay, wait. How can I go deeper with Aaron? Where can I find you? How can I learn from you? You're just a master teacher. So give us the deets. What can the people? Deets. Where can people find you? And also, just go deeper. I feel like there are levels to what you offer, which mm-hmm. is so beautiful and accessible.
2: Well, thank you. Best place to find me is always YouTube. I keep it the same handle everywhere. So whether it's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, my website is just Aaron Abke. Mm. But if you want to go deeper into this stuff, I just launched my online platform called 4D University in July. And it's uh, three courses over a seven, seven month period that takes people through this entire gambit we were talking about of from the mind training in the first course to a second course is called Meditation Mastery. And then the third course is called 4DAP which stands for Fourth Density Ascension Protocol. And that's the system that I use to awaken my Mm -hmm. kundalini, but it's really focuses heavily on like a safe, gradual approach. Not so much the approach of like, let's do this in one night. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's more like, here's some daily practices you can do, some advanced yoga practices that will stimulate this. And here's the effects that may happen to you. Here's how to balance those effects. It sort of gives people an entire resource in this three month program that gradually works them up to a, a daily practice of kind of exercises like this. So, if you're interested in going on this journey and awakening fourth density energy, that's what the platform's for. Beautiful.
0: Amazing. Yeah. I'm so grateful you guys came. I know. So glad.
2: Likewise. Too. We're so finally
1: real life work. friends. I know. How cool is that? Thank goodness. I'm so glad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you soon. We'll see you. Bye. Thank you so much, Aaron. I love you so much. Again, you can find the first episode I did with Aaron by searching Aaron, almost 30, and he will come up. We talked about the law of one. You can go to aaronabke.com. That's A A R O N A B K E.com or 4DUniversity.com. And then you can get the law of one course at almost30.com.
1: And We want to thank
0: our sponsors
1: for this episode. As always, just bring new brands that we love and have vetted for all of you. We love y'all so much. You can find discount information in our show notes as well as on almost30.com. Have a beautiful day. We love y'all and we'll see you on the next one. We'll see you soon, guys. We love you.